0: Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here.
1: Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I invite people virtually into the Blog Cabin to chat about life. And today we're going to be chatting about serendipity i mean this book some of the some of the inventions that came out of just events are amazing so neil first tell us about yourself and then we'll talk about your book serendipity
2: sure thanks for having me on the show uh, so i was a just retired two years ago was a uh, academic internal medicine physician most of my life so so patients uh taught residents and students and wrote over 60 research papers um, and then retired. And uh, one night got the idea for the book out of the blue and decided I had to write it.
1: Wow. And you mentioned that you had a lot of events that occurred that were kind of like serendipity to you. So can you go into some detail of what these were?
2: Yeah, um, both in my personal life as well as in my professional life, um, they happened all along. Um, and, and I guess one of the, well, one of the first ones was that, that really hit me um, was How I Met My Wife, which I detail in the book, but it was this whole series of happenstances that if any one of them hadn't occurred, we never would have met, um, sort of like Sliding Doors if you've ever seen that movie, um, but even more so. And then um, in my professional life, I, get, I guess the first one was uh, when I was, um, I had been, at first, at the University of Connecticut for two years um, as an attending and and got involved in um, some studies on patient-physician communication uh, that I really enjoyed, and and that was really my interest. I got uh, taught how to do survey research. Um, It just so happened. And then, and then I moved, we moved back to Philadelphia, which is where my wife was from and where I did all my training. And uh, at the uh, place where I was, they had a weekly conference and it was all about different things. But this one time it was about medical ethics and I had no, no interest at all in medical ethics. That just never entered my mind I was gonna do anything with it. And uh, it's, the, the discussion was about if there's scarce resources, not, not enough medical resources to go around. How do you make the decision who gets those resources? Like, for example, if if a patient has their heart stop, and there's only one team to help restart hearts in the, in the hospital, and and two of those events happen at the same time, how do you decide who's going to get it? And there was a lot of discussion going on, <clears throat> and then one of the residents raised his hands and said, "The whole discussion is moved because." we always make the decision based on who needs it the most um, type of thing. And, and I, I knew that wasn't true. I knew that, that residents held biases just like everybody else did. And I suddenly got this chill up the back of my neck and, and up my spine, like I can figure out whether residents really do hold these biases or not. And I, I developed the survey, uh, used the residents and basically found that the residents had significant amounts of biases. It got uh, accepted for presentation at a major national uh, meeting and then published in um, a major medical journal and led eventually to a career worth about 30 different research papers on medical ethics.
1: Wow. So before we get any, into this any further, what is serendipity for those that are listening that don't know exactly what it is?
2: Sure, serendipity is is basically people, the easiest way of explaining it is people ask me, what's the difference between serendipity and luck? Aren't they the same? And, and the answer is absolutely not. Luck just happens to you and, and it can be good luck, it could be bad luck, but it just happens to you. Uh, whereas with serendipity, serendipity it, it may be a minor event a minor lucky event but you have to be able to recognize it and do something with it to, to bring it to fruition let, let me give you an example and I, I use this in the book and let me let me actually read it because I think it it's worthwhile if I may
1: you sure can go right ahead
2: okay um, so say that Rachel, is a young woman who graduated college with a degree in urban planning. And after graduation, she worked for two years at a construction firm building residential communities. However, the construction firm later off for four months, uh, later off four months ago, and she only now has secured a job with the city that she starts next week. The city pays monthly, so Rachel won't have a paycheck for a month and she doesn't have enough money to pay expenses. She's about to go to the bank to see if she can get a loan, but she has no collateral and therefore isn't, isn't hopeful. The scenario ends in one of two ways. In the first version, Rachel gets the mail before going to the bank, and in it is a letter from her Aunt Martha, who she hasn't seen in quite some time. Martha heard from Rachel's father, and she is impressed with the work Rachel will be doing. She notes that Rachel is probably at rock bottom financially and therefore has enclosed something to tide her over. Inside is a check for $5,000 the answer to Rachel's problems. In version two, Rachel is going to the bank. She spies a bit of something under a leaf. She bends down, moves the leaf and sees a penny. Rather than leaving it or pocketing it for change, she looks at it carefully realizes it that realizes that it has the configuration of older pennies with two shafts of wheat on the reverse side of the coin from Lincoln's head. She remembers that a friend of hers collected coins and told her that some of these pennies could be worth a lot of money. Rachel takes it to a coin dealer who looks at the penny, looks in his catalogs and offers Rachel $5,000 for the coin. Rachel accepts and takes the check to the bank. So now the deal is that in the first case, that was luck. It just happened to Rachel. She had no involvement, no agency in, in the event. In the second half, Rachel, in the second version, Rachel had to recognize that this might be something worthwhile, be curious enough to look under the leaf, curious about what the penny was, and then make the connection with the previous person who, who had told her about the idea that some of the pennies are worthwhile in order to be able to get the check. It ends up being the same way. But in the second half, that's serendipity.
1: Wow. You know, you wouldn't even think about it like that. I mean, you would both think, oh, it's luck. But then when you think about it, you ha- she had to take action. So that's right. The action is like the, the main part of serendipity.
2: That's right. It, it it's, that, it's only a minor event that triggers it. It's the action that makes it into something worthwhile.
1: Now, there were several uh, incidences that you wrote about in the book, but I want to talk about it first. How did you go about compiling all the, the serendipity examples? Because, woo, you have some examples in the book.
2: So, <clears throat> I, I, I figured that I needed to include myself in the book. I, I, I read uh, a lot, and I've seen books n- not about serendipity, but about other things where somebody's giving advice. And they have these mythical characters, or my friend or that kind of thing, never themselves. Um, and I felt I needed to put myself in this because it, it was my um, occurrences that really led me to write the book. And and so I, I compiled a whole list of these certain events that I had gone through. And then and then I realized that I also needed some some events in history. Um, to, to flesh it out. And so I uh, went both online as well as to Amazon and bought a bunch of books on on accidental inventions and accidental discoveries. And there was a lot of these kinds of serendipitous events in, in both.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the cheese doodles and Cheetos and how that came about, because I think that's a lot of people will definitely like resonate with that story. So let's yeah. talk about that story. Sure,
2: so it, it, there was this... Uh, a uh, company called the All Company uh, that made um, meal for, um, I guess, animals. And uh, one of the things they did was to um, do cornmeal. Okay, and um, they they bought this uh, machine that did this, and and the machine was supposed to be uh, they, they put water in because otherwise the machine would heat up. So they put in water with the cornmeal, but this one time, the corn, it's it, it still heated up too much and it actually mm-hmm. cooked the cornmeal. And out came these things that were sort of, you know, a puffy cornmeal aspects. And um, no one wanted it, obviously, they weren't going to give it to the to the animals. This guy took home a bunch of them and said, I wonder if my wife fried these up, if that mm-hmm. might, might be something. So he took them home and had his wife, you know, fry them up. And then he said he tasted it and said, "Yeah, they're good, but they're missing something." And put in, sprinkle in some powdered cheese, and bingo, up came either um, uh, cheese, Cheetos on the one hand, or um, you know the, the, the its competitor. Uh, both came out about the same time, but it was the guy from the all Company whoever he was and no one's exactly sure who came up with cheetos
1: so how did you find uh, the instances that you wanted like you said amazon and you did a little research but how long did it take you to compile all that research into the book um
2: about two to three months uh, of you know getting the getting the Going online, getting some examples, and also reading through the books that I had gotten and, and um, writing down the examples that I wanted.
1: <coughs> now, we, we need to take a brief commercial break, but I want to, when we come back, we're going to talk about how serendipity impacts us.
2: Okay.
0: Chats from the Blog Cabin.
1: Enjoying this
0: episode? Leave a review now. Chats from the Blog Cabin. Hit subscribe. And don't Don't miss miss the the next next episode. episode. Hi, my name is Joanna, and I would like to share with you a little bit about Shores of Grace, Shores Philly. It's a ministry located in Philadelphia. The portion of Shores that I volunteer for goes into Kensington, an area greatly impacted by homelessness and addiction, We go and we take love, food, clothing, snacks, conversation. Um, We believe that it is a way that we can meet people right where they are and show them the love of Jesus. Uh, We have seen lives changed in big ways and in small ways, and we have built wonderful relationships with the people in the community. Uh, We have big plans, more we'd like to do, um, and we would appreciate any support either through prayer or through donation. If you would like to donate, you can go to shoresofgrace.com and in the menu, click on donate. And we just ask that you put Philly in your donation comments. Thank you.
1: And we are back. And let's talk about how serendipity impacts us. Like you just talked about the Cheeto um, cheese doodle person. So how does it impact us?
2: You want serendipity? Um, that, that promotional ad, Uh, is serendipitous. Because um, when I was planning on going to medical school, I um, didn't really have an idea of what Philly was all about and didn't, I went to the University of Pennsylvania Medical School, um, didn't know much about the city. And a friend of mine who who had grown up in the city was going to be a, a student at Temple University Hospital. (laughs) <laughs> and um, so the two of us decided to rent a house uh, somewhere in between uh, Temple University hospital and and University Medical School and and University of Pennsylvania Medical School and it ended up being Kensington.
1: And, oh wow
2: and that was the promotion that you just had and yeah I grew up at, I, I had a year in Kensington and saw the the heartbreak in, in that area of the city. Wow. Um, these kinds of things happen all the time. But you know, it if if I hadn't been in touch with with the things that you need to be in touch with, I I might not have recognized this connection, for example, just now and might not have talked about it. Um, I, I'm, I'm convinced that basically these events are happening to all of us all the time and that a lot of people miss them. Um, this one guy, Percy Spencer, um, was working for Raytheon, um, dealing with um, high frequency radar, microwave radar, to improve the sensitivity and specificity of, of the radar sets that were being used for the government. <clears throat> and he had a, a bunch of engineers working for him and one day he went down to the lab where they were, you, you know, experimenting with radar sets. And, and in those days they used vacuum tubes, which got pretty warm. And he he went down, and he happened to have a chocolate bar in his pocket. And he noticed that the chocolate bar melted. And the the, the other, he asked the engineers, he said, "Does this happen to you?" They said, "Oh yeah, it happens all the time. It gets warm down here, and you know." the chocolate melts. And he thought to himself, himself, you know, it's not that warm down here that it would melt the chocolate bar that quickly. So he asked somebody to bring him a bag of popcorn. That was, And he got the idea maybe the microwave was doing something. He got a bag of unpopped popcorn, put it in front of the microwave set, and popped. And ended up being, leading him to develop the microwave oven. All the other engineers did not pick up on that. Wow. So I, I think this kind of stuff is happening all the time. And, but you need to be able to have the skills to recognize it and utilize it.
1: Now, what would you say to some people who think that they say, oh, it's not serendipity, it's God doing this?
2: Well, you know, the, the, the initial, well, it's still serendipity. Um, that, initial, that initial minor event, how did that happen? Some people believe it's God. Some people believe it's just the randomness of the universe. Some people believe there's some kind of pattern to the universe. I don't know what causes those minor events to happen that you can take advantage of, but they sure happen all the time. And if you believe it's God, God says, you know, uh, I will give you, but you need to, to reach out and grasp. And, and that's what serendipity is all about.
1: Now there's another one. I don't re- remember the exact story. I read a note to ask you about it. It talks about the sewing machine story yeah. and and the dream. So can you talk about that one?
2: Yeah, Elias Howe was the one who invented the sewing machine. And um, he, he uh, basically uh, was working in a, um, a uh, manufacturing plant in, in Massachusetts and the, he heard the owner say, if you could invent a sewing machine that, you know, is able to do a lock stitch, you, you've got something. And he, he couldn't figure out, he had some of the elements to it, but he couldn't figure out exactly how to put it together um, in terms of the lock stitch. How, how would the thread move and stuff like that? And, and then, and he kept thinking about it, thinking about it. One night he went to sleep and had this dream where he was being um, going to be executed by these guards if he didn't, you know, um, invent the sewing machine. And the guards had these swords, but that had a slit in the, had an eye in the top of the sword, like a slit in the top of the sword. And uh, he woke up and instantly knew that this was the answer to his to what he needed to do he needed to make a needle with an eye in it that the thread could uh move through and that would make a lock stitch
1: wow it's just amazing what what you when you look at things and you take action on them what how you can create so many amazing creations now can you give us some more examples of stuff that's happened in your life that's that was serendipitous
2: um sure um So ever since I was a little kid, I knew that uh, I wanted to be a physician. That, that was, it was no doubt in my mind about that. Um, I, I grew up in a, in a rural area in New York, uh, upstate New York, and um, basically expected that I would you know, go to medical school, do my residency, um, come back and be a primary care physician somewhere in upstate New York. And, um, I, and and that's what i fully expected and then um two things happened one was uh, when i was in ninth grade in high school um the, the high school that i went to always had two plays They had a, a regular play in the, in the in the fall and a a musical in the spring and uh for the fall play they put up a Poster saying, you know, come try out for the play. And I had no interest in doing that. But, you know, a friend of mine, I happened to look at it. A friend of mine who, he and I were always in competition with each, with each other. And he sort of dared me. He said, I dare you to go try out. You are too chicken Well, a ninth grader never turns down a dare. So I, I went and tried out. And I got a, a really small part in the play. Um, but loved it. I really loved it. Um, from then on, for all of the plays through high school, I always tried out. I was a terrible actor. I always got a small part. Um, I admit I this, <laughs> you know, I, I either was an understudy or in the chorus or a small part, you know, type of thing. But I was there every step of the way. I, you know, I would always do what I was asked to do. I got involved in, in publicity for the, for the theater you know, I, I just loved it. And and the thing it did for me is it got me comfortable being on stage. You know, I, I, was, I, was, I loved it. I was a ham. I was, you know, every time I was up there it was like, wow, this is so cool. Um, even if it was a small part. And then um, our senior year in high school, they had something called Red Letter Day. Um, and, and since it was a small high school, they could do this they had us list our three favorite teachers and they would match you with one of the teachers and for red letter day you were it you were that teacher for the day the teachers stayed home we we were the only teachers in in the school wow they had a couple of people wandering holes making sure we weren't really going wild but you were the teacher and i was my biology teacher and at that point, I knew that yes, I was going to be a physician, but I was going to be an academic physician. It totally changed who I was going to be in terms of my profession.
1: Wow! Yeah. So, why did you take the turn and start writing books?
2: Um, I had absolutely no interest in doing it. Um, my my peers, you know, had as I said, I'd written like over sixty articles, uh, research articles. And my my peers kept on telling me, you know, the people I did research with and my friends and colleagues, you need to write a book summarizing all the research you've done. And I, I said, Why would I do that? First of all, it's like it's it would be boring to me because I I've, I've done it already. Sitting down and and, and it's just felt like, you know, self promotion or something. Um and, and I, I wasn't about to sit down and write a 50 or 60,000 word book. I mean, that's just not something that came to my head. Most research articles are two to 3,000 words, and that was about my limit. I wasn't going to go beyond that. And then um, one night, but I was i was a month from retiring. Uh, I knew I was going to be a docent at the San Diego Air and Space Museum, which I still am and love. That was going to be part of my time because that was sort of a side passion I had and um you know but i couldn't figure out what else i was going to be doing and uh i went to bed and woke up about three o'clock in the morning i must have had a dream i don't remember what dream it was but i instantly knew what book i had to write Um, it just came to me. and i went in the other room and started writing the outline for it and knew exactly what i had to tell
1: people wow so how long did it take you to write besides doing the research? You said two to three months for the research. So how long did it take you to actually write it?
2: That's six months, six, seven months. And uh, then
1: going through the process of publishing and trying to find a publisher and everything uh, else?
2: Right. It, 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 so, the, I, would, I should say the first draft was six months. Um, the second draft was another couple of months. Um, trying to find a publisher. Finally found a, a really a fortuitous to find a really excellent publisher. Um, and then working with a developmental editor and a copy editor and, and, and a proofreader and a design graphic designer and all that took almost another year before, before it finally came out.
1: Now, when your first book, when you gave it to, I'm sure you had like a sounding board that you would hand the book to, to, Hey, what did, what was their reception of the book?
2: Um, most people said wow you know i never thought about this but you're right this always happens to me um it's happening to me all the time and no one's ever talked about it or put it together for me like that um that that was what the general response i got do you have any, encouraged me.
1: yeah do you have people coming up to you now as they're reading the book and saying wow
2: yeah and and sometimes asking questions yeah yeah
1: has anybody shared any of their stories with you? Yes. Can you share one?
2: Sure. Um, Fred Miller, my, my friend who, uh, um, I, I actually included two of his stories in the book. Um, that was in the second draft, because I gave him the first draft, he read it, and then told me his story. Um, the first one was not about him, but um, he was a Navy pilot um, in Vietnam. And he did. He he was um, they, he was one of those patrol plane pilots. And two two things he told me about. One was the story about a, um, an, an a different patrol pilot that had gone down in the Arctic region in the in the Arctic Sea, and um, they were searching for it. And there were the whole set of circumstances about. Um, whether it was going to be found or not and uh, there were just you know the, there was a patrol plane and the chances of them seeing anything was slim and just as they were about to give up, um, one of the, one of the guys in the plane happened to see a flare and said it's over there." Uh, and they went over and they couldn't find where the ref was and then another guy went, "Oh no, it's over that way. And so they were able to actually find the raft where the men were in that that had gone down. And then they were trying to connect with uh, a Russian trawler that happened to be nearby and they kept trying and couldn't. And finally the Russian trawler answered and and picked up the men. So that was these entire uh, sets of circumstances. The other one though, that was more interesting to me was um, he told me about this story when he that happened to him. And that is, he was the the last commander of this Japanese Navy base, uh, Naval Air Base in, in uh, Japan. And um, he had done like really nice things for the base and for the people there, one, which was, one of which was to go about restoring the um, Shinto shrine that was there. And um, he, he got it restored and the um, one of the things the Japanese um, culture was that you you don't save stuff and so they there was like a lentil from the top of the shrine that was in the trash and so he, he picked it up and cleaned it off right it home and kept it for several years uh, and then he um, and, and then he was no longer commander of the base. He came out of the military, was working for private industry. And one of the uh, times when he was working for private industry, he was a consultant uh, back to Japan in the area where the, the previous base had been that he was commander of. And he he was going through the base and looking at things and they had developed this museum where they put together a, um, a, a sort of memento to that shrine and how it was restored and everything. And one of the lintels was in the, one, there were two lintels. One of the lintels was in the case. Right. And, he, and, he, and he looked around and said, huh. And so, and, and he didn't say anything to the guy, to the, the, the head of the base who was telling him this, you know, showing him around. And he, he talked to his wife who was back in the States and was about to go and visit him in Japan. And he said, you know, that lintel that I have, um, bring it the next time you come. And so he, he she brought it and he was on the base and they, he, he told the guy, I'd like to see that shrine again, you know, about the or that memento again about the shrine. And so the, the head of the base took him and said, yeah, you know, isn't it neat, it, you know, I wish we had the other lintel. And my friend went, here. Yeah. And, and like the people were just, he was just awestruck and and like in tears that he had kept the shrine in the lintel and was able to bring that back and, and put together a whole momentum. Wow.
1: Well, now, what is up next for you? Do you have another book coming out or? Are you just waiting to see what serendipity throws at you?
2: Well, it did throw something at me. It's happening all the time. Um, So, you know, COVID hit last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, Or actually, uh, actually, yeah, last summer. And it was really peaking. So I I wasn't going anywhere. Um, The the air and space museum was closed. You know, everything was shut down. So I was just kind of stuck and um and i wasn't going out and uh the university of california san diego has a thing called the OSher lifelong learning institute and it's a um, thing that basically is for people who are mostly who are retired but you don't have to be um and you pay certain amount of money in their lectures and group meetings and stuff like that and one of the groups was a writing group and I decided, well, I'm an author now, so I can join, uh, <laughs> which is sort of a little bit of I think. But anyway, I, I joined. And it turned out it was not uh, a writing group for anybody who was writing, it was creative writing, which I had never done. And uh, so I was just going to bail out. And, and the head of it said, why don't you try it? I said, OK. So the way they did it is they. Um, you, you write a piece and submit it to everybody by email and then um, they get a chance to read it and the next week you read it online and they give you online feedback <clears throat> well i did that with one part of a book of what i thought was just going to be a short story and um they they gave me good feedback it was really nice and they said but you might want to try this and this to make it a little better But they really liked it. So I was encouraged. So then I wrote the second half of it. And the second half, I admit, was very cumbersome and slow. But the first person to uh, give me feedback um, sort of was sitting there with his arms folded, looked at me, and said, This is as slow as molasses. (laughs) You know, which kind of hurt, you know. Yeah. It was slow, but, you know, at least be gentle about it. Uh, and, then, and then sort of everybody else jumped on board and, and I, so I, I left the group, but then I said, I'll show you, I'm gonna write a novel uh, out of this. And I sat down and about four months, I had myself a novel. And it's in the hands of my, I, my publisher read it, but she really liked it, um, said I needed to flesh out the characters a little more, which I just did and gave it back to her. So it's in her hands now.
1: So what is the novel based on?
2: Uh, a lot of my experiences as an academic general general medicine physician both good and bad.
1: So is it a uh, fiction? Of course, it's a work of fiction because it's creative writing. But right. what is its like, genre would you put it in?
2: Um, mystery, suspense.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. You piqued my interest on that.
2: Look at the type of suspense she can get. So it's a little different. And she thought it was unique. She she said she never seen anything like that before.
1: That's that's really good because you don't really kind of stump publishers not seeing something new because they see stuff all the time. So
2: Right.
1: So now that you've got that book out of the way, do you have any more books in you?
2: I have an idea for a second for a sequel to the first novel um yeah so we'll see about that and i have an idea for actually putting together all my research although i'm not sure i would do that
1: wow well i wish you the best of luck because i'm telling you this book opened my eyes to some of the things are like i did not know this i didn't know that i mean it, it's entertaining and plus it's informative as well because you're like what and your job just drops right as you're reading it
2: well, thanks. Yeah, I, that's what it was meant to, to be, basically. So I'm glad I accomplished that.
1: Now, was there one that when you were researching that your jaw dropped as well?
2: Um, there were several. My favorite one, though, is it, it that how Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin because he had to use all of the skills necessary in serendipity to discover it. Um, and I, I detail it in a book, but it, it, basically he was experimenting with staphylococci bacteria that caused a skin infection. Um, had, a, had him on plates with the lids off, and somebody opened a window and mold got on on the plates. And he thought the plates were ruined, but he suddenly saw that one of the plates had around the mold that was growing these clear rings. And he looked at it under the microscope and realized that the clear rings were there because the bacteria were dying or, or dead and then he he realized that that must be the mold secreting something onto the plate and killing the bacteria and that's how he
1: discovered them so wow that's just wow so is there one last little nugget you want to share with us before because our time's almost up
2: Sure. What I would say is that basically you know, the, it, it's not the biggies um, that are happening to all of us all the time necessarily, but they, the, even the small ones are happening to us all of, all of the time. And even if it doesn't change your life, they're just so interesting and exciting occurrences that it's really worthwhile taking hold of them.
1: Yeah. So tell people the name of your book again.
2: So it's Serendipity, Utilizing Everyday Unexpected Events to Improve Your Life and Career. Um, it is available on Amazon online, Barnes & Noble online. Bookstores can order it through Barnes & Noble. So it's, it's, it is available.
1: And where can people find you at?
2: So I'm at, they can go to my uh, website at neiljfarber.com, all one word, uh, N-E-I-L-J, F-A-R-B-E-R, all one word, dot com. And on there is the link to my blog as well. All
1: right. Neil, I want to thank you so much for, first of all, opening my eyes to serendipity because, I mean, <laughs> I had no idea all these great inventions came out through um, a course of events that people had to take action on. And I want to thank you for sharing your time, um, even though we were a little late getting on because of the dog scape. I really want to thank you for um, just sharing this book and in your, your writing with the world. And I can't wait to see what you're up to next. And I can't wait to read the mystery book. So put me on the list for the book. When you get it published, I would so love to have you back on and chat with you about that book as well.
2: I'd be glad to. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: So guys, um, I will drop all the links in the show notes where you can buy the book, where you can contact Neil As well. So, as always, be blessed. And most importantly, keep chatting.
0: Chats from the Blog Cabin. We not only have voices for a podcast, but also faces for YouTube. Don't miss your next episode.